This is Everyday Wealth with award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and personal finance expert Gene Chatsky. Gene, we have a great show today. Mark Zandi is going to join us. He's the chief economist for Moody's Analytics. He also has his own podcast. It's called Inside Economics. And he is going to help us understand all the things that we're seeing in the news and put them in context. So let's get right to it. Let's bring Mark in. Mark, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you here. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. We want to jump right in, Mark. So we have seen one quarter of GDP contraction. Do you care to wager on where it's going? Well, I mean, you're suggesting that perhaps the economy is really struggling and on the verge of recession because of the old rule of thumb that you have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, that's a recession. But the economy is strong, and you can see it in the job market. We're creating close to half a million jobs each and every month, and that's that's a very strong economy. So I, I don't think I'd put too much weight on the GDP number if you're trying to gauge how the economy is doing. What do we weigh when we're looking at how the economy is doing? Clearly GDP, clearly uh, unemployment numbers, because I think there are plenty of people, Mark, who would argue with you and say, how can you say the economy is strong? Look at all these people who are freaking out about inflation. Look at all these people who are literally concerned that they're not going to be able to pay some of their bills, who are complaining about the high cost of gas day in and day out. What, What makes it strong or weak in your mind? Well, I'd make a distinction between the economy's growth rate and uh, inflation. Inflation, obviously, is a problem. It's very high, painfully high. We're paying record at the the gas pump uh, for food. So no doubt about that. But in terms of the economy's growth, uh, I think the thing that I'd focus on, and I think most people would, would be jobs. I mean, how many jobs are being created? What's the unemployment rate? Uh, you know, you know uh, look at all the unfilled positions. That That is consistent with a very strong economy. In fact, those two things to some degree go hand in hand, right? If you have a, uh, an economy that's really strong and busting out all over, that's when you have inflationary problems. So that's the kind of environment we're in. A very strong economy, but one with very high, un- uncomfortably high inflation. When you are looking at the markets. We we make this point on this show from time to time that the economy and the markets are separate. And and yet we've seen so much volatility in the markets. How does that factor into this bigger picture? Well, you know, the the markets if when you say the markets probably mean the stock market, uh they, they go up, they go down, they go all around. I mean, there's an old quip uh, by a uh, former uh, Nobel laureate in economics who said that uh, the stock market has predicted nine of the last five recessions. And I think that <laughs> encapsulates it well. You know, it can go down. Uh, the stock market can go down and the economy not follow. I will say, though, the economy has never suffered a recession without the stock market kind of leading the way, without it uh, declining beforehand, in, in part because investors are forward-looking and they're thinking about how companies are doing and will do in the future. And if they think companies are going to struggle, they start selling stock, uh, their stocks, and, and that is a leading indicator of a future problem in the economy. And also, to some degree, there's causality there, right? When stock prices are down a lot and they stay down, people feel less wealthy. If they're less wealthy, they spend less. And of course, that contributes to the you know, decline in economic activity. So, uh, the stock market's a very important barometer, but I, I, you know, you need to take it with you know uh, that that proverbial grain of salt because you know it can go down in, in the economy. Not the other thing I'd point out in the current context, the market's down. It's down about 15% from its peak, but you know 
that's from its all-time peak after a very long, uh, significant run-up in prices. In fact, even with the decline in uh, stocks, uh, stock prices we've seen to date, uh, you know, if you've been invested over the last five years, you're making double-digit returns. If you've invested over the last 10 years, you're making double-digit returns. So stock investors have done very well despite this uh, correction in, in prices today. Does it look to you like you can see where it bottoms out? If that, that sounds very dramatic for what you're describing, which is sounds very not dramatic. But like, where does it kind of end? And people say, okay, now we've kind of gotten to the bottom of this. And now we're heading back up. Or is that impossible to predict realistically? Well, that's a tough one, and I, I wouldn't make any investments based on my calls. <laughs> Just asking, asking for a friend named uh, Soledad who is curious about her own portfolio. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, because you know, most people they shouldn't even look at what's going on in the stock market, right? They should be invested for the long run and investing regularly in up and down markets because timing the peaks, the bottoms, that's, you know, virtually impossible. You can't do it, you know, on a consistent basis. But, you know, I'd say that uh, if the economy is not going to suffer a recession, and I don't think it will, but uh, if it doesn't, then the bottom in price, stock price is probably close at hand. You know, maybe we go down, we get to a bear market, which is down 20%. We haven't quite gotten there yet. But if we go into recession, then the market will go down a lot more, you know, probably, you know, closer to the 30 percent. So we're halfway done. So hopefully the economy hangs in there and uh, we're down 15, 20 percent. Uh, the other thing I'd say, though, on stocks, I don't think I count on, you know, the double digit per annum kind of returns we've been getting over the last five, 10, you know, even longer periods of time. Because going forward, uh, interest rates aren't going any lower. They're, you know, in all likelihood, going higher, and that's a headwind to stocks. So, I, I, if you know, I think if you were prudent about this, you kind of plan for kind of five percent annualized returns as opposed to ten percent, which we've been getting over a long period, of, long a period of time up till now. Okay, so I, I'm smiling. You can't see that. I'm smiling here because you and I had a conversation maybe eight years ago, and and you made the same exact point, Mark. I agree with you. I think if we plan on five or six percent returns and we get 10, that's great. If we plan on 10 and we get five, we've undersaved and underfunded our futures and that's a big problem. But make the case for that five or 10 percent now as compared to eight years ago where we really got more. Well, it's about interest rates and interest rates got to just levels that if you asked me eight years ago, would we get to the zero lower bound? Well, I guess we did get to the zero lower bound, but when, you know, long-term interest rates, 10-year treasury yields get below 3%. In fact, I think last year in the teeth of the pandemic, we were closer to, you know, two and a half, two to two and a half percent. I'd say that, you know, that's not likely or certainly not likely for any extended period of time. And I, and I still think that's, you know, we can't, you can't count on those kind of interest rates. They're not consistent with a well-functioning, healthy economy. And ultimately, rates will normalize and stock prices will normalize. And the other thing I'd say is I, I, definitely wrong, but I, that, this means that I'm more convicted in my opinion right now <laughs> uh, just because the market's overvalued. You know, it's just relative to, you know, the where interest rates should be in the long run, where Stock prices should be in the long run. They're they're still overvalued, and therefore we'll get more pedestrian returns. It just didn't uh, happen in the last eight years, but you know that just makes it more confident it'll happen in the next eight. 
So when we are talking about what people should do, about how people should handle this, about how how we plan for our individual futures, our personal economies, as we like to talk about on this show, um, you know, consumers right now are fighting inflation. We're starting to see them spend down the savings that they accumulated, the excess savings, the trillions in excess savings accumulated during the pandemic with all the stimulus and the the not spending on travel and eating out. That's that's being dipped into. If you were to lay out a roadmap for the individual investor going forward, what what are the what's the playbook? What steps do they follow now and are they different than in any other economy? Uh, no, uh, I don't think it should be any different. I mean, you should save. Uh, you know, you need to uh, sock away uh, some of your earnings you know, on a consistent basis. And um, you know, the more the better, uh, obviously, because uh, your nest egg will be larger in the future if you save more now. Uh, and you should do it on a consistent basis. And uh, you, you know, depending on your age. Depending on your risk tolerance, you know how much you can tolerate markets being down and up and all around. That'll determine, you know, what you invest in. But generally, you know, most people, you know, if they're in their 30s, 40s, 50s, when people do most of their saving, they they should be saving a lot of that in first of all their their home, housing, if they can. Although right now might not be the greatest time to do that, but you know, uh, housing is important to building wealth. Stocks, you know, are also you know very important as well because they they will return uh, uh, have a higher return than most other asset classes and generally a relatively cheap way of investing. So I think though the key here is to save in a consistent way, in in a sense almost on it's on automatic pilot if you can do it. I mean, just take the money have have the money taken out of your account on a regular basis every month. But the, 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 the key here is saving all the time, consistently, over time. So here's my question about inflation. What has to happen to get it under control? And when people talk about inflation as something the government, the administration, <laughs> can just do a thing to bring it under control, is that is that accurate? And to what degree are company profits, which seem like they're up, they're great at this moment, is that playing a role in inflation, meaning if companies said like, hey, we just if our profits weren't so high, we could actually be helpful in bringing inflation down. And are those stupid questions or are those good no, questions? No, they're actually. Oh, that's uh, the right answer, Mark. Thank you. Critical <laughs> questions. I mean, because <laughs> that is key to understanding, you know, what can or should be done about bringing down the high rate of inflation. And there's a lot of debate uh, about this. But in my view, the reason why inflation is as high as it is is because of the pandemic, scrambled global supply chains, and you can see that in lots of different ways, and most obviously in, in, in what's happening in the vehicle industry and vehicle prices. Scrambled labor markets, you know, people have been shoved out of the labor market, and they're, it's taking them time to get back in for lots of different reasons. Uh, and then the other key reason is the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has just sent oil prices and thus gasoline prices, and because... Uh, diesel prices are key to food prices and other other goods. You know, we've seen inflation go skyward here. So, in in my view, the high inflation is as a result of two things that we have very little control over: the pandemic and the Russian invasion. 
if that's the case, then getting inflation down requires that we get on the other side of those two things. I, I think we're that's happening. I mean, it feels like the pandemic is fading. It's still a problem. You can see that in China. So it's not uh, it's not gone away, but it's fading. That's good. And I do think the worst of the economic fallout from the Russian invasion is at hand, although I say that with a lot of intrepidation. But that's that those two things are vitally key. And that does suggest that, you know, the uh, ability of the Federal Reserve uh, and certainly the administration and Congress to really have a big impact on inflation, certainly in the near term, is very limited, you know, very, uh, very small. I will say, you know, one other element to inflation that's going to become more of a deal if the economy doesn't slow, though, is the tight labor market. I mean, we are at full employment. If the economy continues to grow at this current pace, we're going to blow past full employment. Wage Wages are going to rise more quickly, and we get into that kind of wage price kind of uh, self-reinforcing dynamic that's a problem. I don't think that's a, a big deal yet, but that's what the Fed is focused on. They're trying to slow the growth rate in the economy so that we don't get into that situation. But at the end of the day, it's about the pandemic and the invasion. And how about corporate profits? <clears throat> I, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot of. I don't think that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some uh, uh, folks that think you know, corporate greed, gouging, are a significant factor here in inflation. I, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I do think there are some industry sectors where the market is, the, the industries are concentrated in, peop- in business that uh, pricing power, the meatpacking industry is like the poster child for that. But that's really on the margin. N- not that, you know, the administration and lawmakers shouldn't be shining a bright light on corporate pricing practices because you want to keep people honest. And that's, you know, part of their remit. They they, they should be doing that. But I, I don't think at the end of the day, that's a significant contributor to what's going on here. So there was a, a story recently in um, uh, in the paper, I, I think it was the New York Times, it may have been the Wall Street Journal, that that took a look at, at the wages that people at the, the largest companies in the country were earning. And it said, you know, they are for the first time in a long time up by about 10%. But the people who are earning those wages are not able to keep up because of inflation, right? It, it it's it, we've been watching stagnant wage growth in this country for what a decade and a half, maybe even longer, and we finally get some wage growth, and it's accompanied by inflation or it's caused by inflation. How how do we not? have a wage price spiral at this point? Well, I, I think the wage, it, 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 we don't if inflation expectations don't uh, come undone. So it, it, if people, businesses, consumers, workers think that inflation is going to be high in the future, we will go into that kind of dreaded wage price dynamic. So workers will say hey to, to their employer, hey, you got to pay me more because it costs me a lot more to fill my gas tank to come to work and pay for childcare and you know the clothes that I need to go to work. And the, and the businessman's going or woman's going to say, "Okay, I have no problem," because I, they know that they can pass through that higher price, uh, the, the higher labor cost to their their customer, and you get into that kind of self-reinforcing dynamic. And so it's about expectations. But if if people think in the future inflation is going to come back down and be close to you know where the Fed wants it, the two percent. Then that wage price dynamic, self-reinforcing dynamic, is unlikely to take hold. And I, and right now, it, uh, this is a success story. And one reason why I'm 
feeling more confident that we're going to avoid a recession is the Fed, because of its very strong, aggressive talk and recent, recently very aggressive actions, inflation expectations have come back down. Uh, people believe that inflation is going to be lower. If that's the case, then I think these wage gains, these outsized wage gains and price increases we've experienced over the last year will start to abate and come back in. So uh, it's all about, I think, about expectations, whether we get into that wage price spiral or not. And at this point, it feels like we're going to be able to avoid it. That's Mark Zandi. He's a chief economist uh, for Moody's Analytics and has his own podcast, which is called Inside Economics. Thank you, Mark. Take care now. You too. Bye. Everyday Wealth with Soledad O'Brien and Gene Chatsky is sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com.